We are not alternative anymore. It's a quickly evolving industry. And of course, amazing opportunities. We look at the industry and its topics. Things are changing very quickly. What is that market setup going to look like? It's very much about charging experience. Going to much more mature business. And, of course, new revenue streams. Those companies will either have to improve or they'll just die. This is the Electric Avenue Podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Electric Avenue podcast about the rapidly growing world of electric vehicle charging. I'm your host, Aaron Fishbone, Public Policy Director at Greenway, based in Bratislava, Slovakia. We're recording this on March 14th, the 19th day of the vicious, destructive Russian invasion of Ukraine. The senseless violence is not stopping, it's only getting worse, but the Ukrainian people are still bravely fighting back all over and in so many ways, and there's so much international support. Still, this conflict grinds on. In our last episode, we heard directly from Lyubov Artemenko, chief operating officer of GoToYou, a Ukrainian-founded e-mobility company who has many of their teams still in Ukraine. They're all doing their part to help save their country, and they're also still serving their EV-driving customers through it all. It's incredible to see, and they inspire us. There's been a lot of talk about what Russia's invasion of Ukraine means for Europe's energy future, and frankly, the global energy future as well. And it's on our minds here at Greenway a lot, too. So that's what we want to talk about in the opening segment today, before we move on to our main topic about the grid and electric vehicles. Good starting episode. So here to discuss this opening topic with me is, who else? Peter Badik, co-founder and managing partner of Greenway. Hey, Peter. Hi, Aaron. Thank you for having me here again. So, Peter, you and I have talked a bunch about this. It's in the news all the time, especially in energy news. But Russia's primary economic driver is selling its oil and gas around the world. And though they sell a lot more gas, 45% of Europe's gas comes from uh, Russia, they actually generate a lot more profit from selling oil. And so how are you looking at you know, what needs to happen in the wake of the Russian invasion in terms of energy and, and the role of e-mobility in being a part of the solution? It's a very sad times, obviously, and, and the horror which is happening in Ukraine uh, makes us sad, all of us. And, but in the same time, everyone uh, is on some place and needs to think what can be done to either help the situation or improve or not letting it happen again. And I have to say that I spent some time, uh, a few days, really deep thinking about if what we are doing in Greenway, in electromobility in general, if it's a good thing in the new reality. And uh, the conclusion really brings me back to, to, the, to the basis of the, what we are doing. And, and as you know, we have for many years our vision in the company that we want to make Europe uh, cleaner, healthier and less dependent on fossil fuels. Mm-hmm. Basically now it's really the, the energy independency and then the basically the last part of this vision, which uh, comes with a very huge urgency. And then what really is changing is basically that we need to do it faster. And that's a new challenge of the new world where we need to operate. I'm pretty convinced that, that what uh, we and the whole electromobility world is doing is a very right thing and very much fits to the situation. We just need to adopt the new realities. I agree, obviously. Um, and, and we're doing it, but it is, it is going slow. So, I mean, I think there's going to be a short-term component to this 
and then a more medium long-term component to this. And I mean, the European Union and the International Energy Agency have put out their sort of 10-point plans for weaning Europe off of Russian gas. But I mean, again, a lot of the discussion is still focused on, on gas. I'm reading one-third of the gas that Europe imports from Russia is used to generate electricity. Um, so there's, some of it is going for electricity. But electric vehicles, I mean, are, I guess the question is, is, there, is it important to think about or more relevant to think about EVs in the sense of consumers of that electricity and therefore users of that gas? Or is it more better to think about them as offsetting the need for oil, diesel, gasoline to be poured into cars? The first thing is in the short period, what we should do is to save as much energy as possible. We need a gas to, to heat our homes, but we are using a gas as well to produce electricity. Uh, we need a gas to as a feedstock for some production where it's not replaceable. So uh, what we need to do is to prevent using the gas for production of electricity as much as possible. Or in broader terms, we need to prevent use of gas whenever it's possible. Mm -hmm. So uh, obviously, let's produce less electricity from a gas, it means probably let's consume less electricity. So if you this year can uh, lower down the temperature on your heater, on your, on your boiler, if you don't have to use the air conditioning during the summer so much, do so. And uh, maybe we will need to import some products for which uh, require a huge amount of electricity to be produced or which require a, a gas as a feedstock because it's probably easier to replace, for example, the, the aluminium and bring that from somewhere else and not use the electricity in Europe for production of the aluminium. This is just one example. So find a way how to prevent using of gas and, and save it for those use which, which are necessary. So that's that's immediate thing, I think 22, 23. And uh, then on the other side, what is becoming more pressing in long term is how to decrease the consumption of uh, oil and gas and diesel. And that's where electromobility actually is going to play the role. So at the moment, the electric vehicles are less than 1% of the fleet in Europe. Mm -hmm. It means that the consumption of electricity by electric vehicles are still relatively low. So of overall electricity, overall electricity supplied by the European grid. Mm -hmm. Yes, exactly. So, so it's relatively small and we should not stop the, the rollout of electric vehicles because it, we know that it takes a long time to start to roll this snowball and it's, it's now mm -hmm. rolling perfectly. In year 2020, we observed 5.4% of all new cars in Europe to be battery electric vehicles. In 2021, it was already 9%. So we can hope only that it's going to be growing and this, this snowball is rolling as much as fast as possible. So therefore, my view, my recommendation would be not to slow it down, despite the fact that we in the next two two years, we need to save a lot of electricity. No, I mean, quite the contrary. Sorry to interrupt, but I mean, you know, the report that we're going to talk about in the, the second half of this podcast is all about can the grid, can the overall electricity supply handle a huge increase in EVs? The grid can handle it, but still we need to do a lot more because after this short-term supply shock, we, we need to electrify everything which is possible to electrify. So for that, basically, what we need to start to work on is more renewables, wind farms, large-scale solar, solar on the roofs. Mm -hmm. we, we need to do more of it, every windmill, which it counts now, and, and I think the, the Europe just needs to speed up. Uh, I'm absolutely sure that there is no lack of expertise and no lack of money for that. What I see as a bottleneck is the connection, because the connection and the grid connection between these 
pieces of new energy systems is, is very critical. And we need to start to build it right now. And again, it's not a technical issue. It's not an issue that we don't know how to put the cable into the ground. There is an issue of the processes. So what I would call immediately on the, every regulator in Europe to start to think about how to streamline the processes, how to make it happen faster. We don't have to reinvent the wheel. It's we, everything is done here. We just need to streamline the processes. And prioritize and sort of put the, the leadership, attention, the willpower into to making it happen. Lots of times that's frankly all and, it really is. And uh, I would say last thing is as well, we need to change a bit the perception of the people or the citizens. There is a always with this is a big problem with the uh, so-called not in my backyard attitude. So mm-hmm. basically everybody wants to have wind farms, solar farms, everybody wants to uh, uh, understand that we need to build uh, more grids, we need to build more connections, but not in my village, not in my town, right. somewhere else. Right. And that's not possible. So we need to reduce or eliminate reliance on right now Russian oil and gas. One of the reasons why Greenway even does what it does is to promote energy independence. E-mobility is one of maybe, and maybe the biggest and maybe the single largest contributor to eliminating the reliance on imported oil. Therefore, we need to you know radically scale up the whole e-mobility ecosystem, which we're already trying to do anyway in Europe, even independent of this. But at the same time, this conflict is causing huge disruptions to the supply chain, lack of access to critical raw materials, like I think 13% I read of uh, nickel that is in, in, in the battery supply chain uh, is comes from Russia. You have announcements from Volkswagen, from Porsche and others that they're delaying or even fully pausing you know, production at different facilities, either because they're, they're in the conflict zone, because supplies they need are from the conflict zone are not able to be here, because the workers themselves are going back home to fight for Ukraine, things like that. So So on the one hand, we need a huge ramp up in the short term, even bigger than we thought we did before uh, just to address the climate crisis. On the other hand, the immediate supply chain is actually pretty significantly disrupted. How do we align these two? Again, I think it's a short term and long term solution. And interestingly, when you talk about raw materials or rare materials, actually, there is quite a lot of them as well in Europe. But we are just not getting them out of the ground. And the reason behind that was a little bit selfish, to be honest, in the past 30, 40 years, because it's usually environmentally very complicated. You know, the impact on the country is very big. Uh, Therefore, we were quite happy that these things are getting out of the ground somewhere in Russia or in China or somewhere else. Uh, It was as well cheaper because we have to be honest, the, the environmental regulation is some locations is not as strong as in Europe or in US. So we need to think twice, and this is really a long term, this is five, maybe 10 years, if we should not, following the very strict environmental rules, uh, not to try to find a way how we get these materials in Europe. And maybe now is the time to rethink this point. So Peter and I talked about whether and how e-mobility can be a part of the solution to energy independence, to weaning off of foreign imported oil, Russian oil in the case of Europe, by electrifying transport, ideally based upon locally produced renewable energy sources. Peter also talked about energy interconnections, in this case between countries. And in our next segment, we're going to talk a lot about the connections between charging points and the electricity grid. So if you would give me the moment to do a little bit of background education, 
Now, I know that most of you will be rather familiar with the grid and how it operates and what it is, but it's such an important concept for today's discussion. And so if there's newcomers to the show or newcomers to our industry, or just people who might want a little bit of a refresher before we use the term a hundred times, allow me to briefly explain what the grid is. It needs a little explaining because it is, you know, considered the, the most complex machine in history after all. So energy is often created or generated in one place and then transported to where it is needed to be used. This happens via wires and cables which transport or transmit the electricity. Sometimes it's not far at all, but other times it can be hundreds or even thousands of kilometers away, like from a wind farm or a solar farm to a city. It goes to a substation which converts it to the proper current and power level for local distribution which is where the phrase distribution system operator or DSO comes from, which is another phrase you're going to hear us using a lot in the next segment. So once the electricity is in the distribution network, the power is converted again to the cables and wires and the proper power levels for the homes and buildings and businesses and streetlights and even electric vehicle charging stations in that community, in that local distribution area. Now, it is exactly this set of interconnections from power generation through transmission to distribution all the way to the end user, which is what we mean when we say the grid. It's the whole architecture and set of interconnections which brings power from where it is produced to where it will be consumed. Now, the European continental grid is the largest grid of its kind in the world, and it provides direct interconnections between 24 countries on a common frequency and it also has additional connections to other regional networks as well, including Ukraine's. And right now, actually, there's a lot of work being done to help uh, the grids of Ukraine and I think Moldova link more directly to the European grid in light of the Russian invasion and energy and security that's come from that. The European Union is striving for ever greater interconnection between its members so that they can supply each other with electricity generated in the European Union. But, you know, energy, trade, and politics are complex, and so though that work is progressing, it's slow going. So, that's it for Electrical Networks 101. Thanks for bearing with me. I hope it was useful for some of you out there. And now, let's get into the heart of the matter. A few weeks ago, Euroelectric, the industry association for Europe's power sector and consultancy EY, put out a really important and timely report entitled Power Sector Accelerating E-Mobility. Can utilities turn electric vehicles into grid assets? They project that by 2035, there should be 130 million electric vehicles on European roads. Now that's up from a bit over 4 million today. So let that sink in. They project that the cost for this should be, air quotes, only 25 to 35 billion euros on the network operator side, which might sound like a lot to lay people, but it's a mere 8% of the cost that the networks will need for their regular annual, over a few years, grid upgrades and modernization and digitization works. Many people are wondering, and this question comes up all the time, in fact, it literally came up to me today, if the grid can handle all of the EVs that are expected to come online and into recharge, not to mention all the other electricity needs of a rapidly electrifying and decarbonizing economy, both now and into the future. If so, how will it handle it? What investments will be needed? What are other opportunities or bottlenecks and challenges? And, and what are the next steps that must be done in order to prepare the grid for this kind of EV growth? 
So to dive deep on all of this, we're joined by Michelangelo Avetta, e-mobility and energy efficiency advisor at Euroelectric and one of the lead authors of this report. Well, I'm Michelangelo Avetta and I'm the uh, policy advisor on e-mobility and energy efficiency here at uh, Euroelectric. Euroelectric is the federation of the European Industry Association and basically we represent the overall power sector in over 32 European countries. Can you just tell me a little bit about your role at Euroelectric? Yes, uh, when it comes to, to mobility, well, we are interested in it because uh, I would even say it with, a, with a, let's say, almost with a joke, it's impossible not to be interested in mobilities these days. Um, for us, of course, everything that comes out of the, um, the institutions here at the EU level that we have seen so far has uh, mobility as one of the main focuses when it comes to decarbonizing our economies and uh, societies. And so we are here reuniting all the different uh, electricity industry members trying to understand how to do it best, uh, basically how to reach those targets related to the Paris Agreement or to the, to the Green Deal. And we see mobility as uh, not simply uh, a sector where we have a role to play, but most importantly, I would say a sector that we see as a crucial one when it comes to the to the electricity system as a as a whole, and it seems from uh, from what everybody's saying is that uh, e-mobility or at least the electrification of the transport sector might really be the uh, the center where energy and industry reunite. We see it as a fantastic source of flexibility. We see it as a fantastic uh, uh, source of storage, namely a lot of different aspects that can actually improve the, the quality and service that the energy sector provides to customers. And so here we are. <laughs> Got it. So so your role exists or then the, and the topical focus on mobility exists because it's one of the key sectors that uh, the uh, your members electricity generators see as like kind of critical one to really wrap their arms around because it's going to be one of the key areas in which let's say the energy transformation will take place um okay great well then diving right in right into the report i mean why this report and why now I would say that we noticed that there was a need to actually present the vision or at least the perspective of the electricity sector in such a debated topic. If you just go on Google search and look for uh, electric vehicles and grid, you will start seeing uh, thousands and thousands of results coming from all the different publications, whether it's a newsletter uh, or whether it's a media outlet or if it's another association that has started. Yes, I produce some of those, so I, I'm, I'm aware. <laughs> so, well, we have noticed that everybody was asking the same question, namely, can the grid manage? Will the grid manage? How can the grid manage? Uh, EVs will overload the grid or EVs will save the grid. And so we were like, okay, guys, this is really the time that uh, we take the time and uh, start investigating what actually uh, EVs are going to represent for the electricity grid in Europe. And most importantly, how we can integrate these two, uh, these two aspects. The need for electricity from the side of the electric vehicles, of course, and the need for stability and the best quality of service from the side of the, uh, the producers and distributors. Uh, yeah, I mean, that makes complete sense. And so, I mean, is the grid under stress already? Um, 
I wouldn't necessarily say that the grid is under stress right now. The one, the one thing which is particularly interesting is that all these transformations related to uh, a new, basically, demand uh, caused by electric vehicles are happening at the same time as uh, many more uh, sectors electrifying themselves. And so, of course, the building sector is trying to electrify or at least decarbonize the, the heating and, uh, and cooling systems. Uh, industry is trying to uh, decarbonize or even electrify some of, its, uh, some of its processes and production systems. So we noticed uh, that uh, it is uh, way more important right now to really understand what could be the impact of this additional demand on the grids. And also, one thing that is quite interesting, uh, let's not forget the, uh, the average life of the grid that we have in Europe. I believe it should be something like way more than 20 years old as an average, of course. So we are, we are talking about uh, a system which is inherently getting older. Uh, needs some uh, upgrading, uh, needs some perhaps digital upgrading, I would say. And, uh, and we have all these new electric vehicles coming online. So what do we do about it? That's exactly what we wanted to do. In the report, you all say that there's going to be 100, you're expecting 130 million electric vehicles by 2035. There's just over 4 million electrified vehicles on European roads right now. And now you're talking about 130 million uh, in the next 13 years. I mean, that's just a staggering amount of growth to think about. Yeah, it is. Uh, it is a staggering amount of growth, but I believe that uh, this is somehow um, in line or at least uh, coherent with the way in which we have seen the vehicle fleet replacing itself in the in the last years. This is in some parts, if not the majority of its part, related to the, the regulatory push that are coming the way of the automotive sector. What is the impact that this growth is going to have on the electricity grid and how do we sort of address it? How do we, A, speed, ensure that the charging infrastructure keeps pace with this growth of, e of EVs such that it can support the charging needs of all these drivers? And what impact will this have on the grid, uh, positive and potentially negative, and how do we mitigate the negative factors? Oh, well, what we hear from, uh, from our members, which of course many of them are also uh, TSOs, e-mobility um, e can be seen as a, as a challenge. Basically, as I was saying before, uh, from the night to the day, you start seeing many new customers coming your way. It's a matter of really making sure that the, uh, the distribution grid is uh, properly set and can function in the right way, adapting to high degree of, uh, of flexibility. The reason why I mentioned the word flexibility is that because, of course, we can be ambitious or aggressive, we were saying before, regarding the number of electric vehicles that we will have on the streets, but you will have to, of course, adapt to some uh, new market dynamics. So you will have to maintain a, a little bit of a degree of flexibility. And as well, you don't want to look at electric vehicles only as recipient of electricity. As I was saying before, they can store that electricity and then put it back into the grid, or at least they will be exchanging electricity in some cases also uh, between them. So you really need to make sure that uh, you can factor in a lot of different factors. Right, right. Well, and in the report, so since we're talking about the distribution network, I'll, I'll go there too. So in your report, you looked at the differences between managed and unmanaged charging. And I think you identified a few problems that could come from unmanaged charging. Um, so first, just let's quickly clarify what is managed and what is unmanaged charging. Basically, let's, let's look at unmanaged charging with simple the fact that 
end of the day, uh, everybody comes up, comes back home after a day in the office and we start plugging our vehicles all at the same time. And what is going to happen to the to the electricity grid? Well, that's a problem. That's a problem because all the houses in our cities, they are all connected, of course, but there's only that much electricity that we can distribute at the, at the same time. Not only there is only that much electricity that we have produced, so then at that point we're going to end up in a situation where are we going to prioritize some uses uh, uh, compared, to some, uh, compared to some others? Are we going to make sure that uh, we can all charge it at the same time when it comes to really the amount of electricity that is going to end up in our, in our vehicles? Will it be incredibly slow or will it simply kill the grid? Uh, as as it is, well, this sort of anarchic uh, charging uh, we can we can call it is exactly what we wouldn't like to see, and that's why we would uh, actually favor what we have called as managed charging, and namely the possibility of having some uh, technological solutions which can either be offered by the suppliers, so by us or by the users, so that the charging can be, let's say, either staggered or delayed somehow or simply done in an orderly fashion. Mm-hmm. Okay, so we're really talking about here about the ability of either the network operator or the user to be able to sort of schedule charging based upon certain criteria. So they might plug in their vehicle, connect their vehicle to the power source, but the charge doesn't necessarily start until some other criteria kick in, like there's available power, like it's off-peak, like there's a lower cost of electricity at that time. Yeah, exactly. I mean, a series of technical solutions that I would say are important, not simply because they provide technical solutions to technical problems, but also because they provide technical solutions to I would even call them behavioral priorities. Namely, I want to make sure that I'm going to pay less. Why? Because I want to pay less. Or I want to make sure that I want to charge at night because I'm going to use the green electricity. Why? Because I want to use green electricity. So in a way, you can also see the fact that these technical solutions are ultimately empowering consumers to make the decisions that they want to make. Okay, so that's the difference between managed and unmanaged charging. And you identified three problems in the paper that can come from too much unmanaged charging, unpredictable power flows, lack of installed and operational reserve, and changes in marginal generating unit, which would have a big impact on energy prices. Um, I mean, your report gives some numbers. As the number of EVs becomes more and more, objectively, the amount of energy and electricity that they are going to need just for mobility is going to grow and grow. And even, of course, you've said, you know, vehicles are only one of the appliances that are going to need electricity in the future. But is growth and development of the grid uh, and electricity generation in general going to keep up with the needs for the e-mobility sector, which, as you said, is going to grow to 130 million vehicles by 2035? Yes, absolutely. Absolutely, Aaron. The one, the one thing that I can tell you is that uh, between now and 2030, we expect the demand increase given by transport, and so its electrification, to be around uh, 140 and 200 terawatt hour. This is a sort of a 11% increase compared to the levels that we have uh, that we have nowadays. But let's not forget the fact that uh, transport is definitely the sector that consumes the least electricity, at least uh, when we look back at the, at the beginning of this, uh, of this decade. If we look at the other sectors, uh, we can say that, uh, for example, industry is going to grow uh, by 240 
terawatt hours. The entire economy is electrifying itself and uh, its consumption, of course, it's increasing. However, once again, the, the amount by which this is happening and most importantly, the cost that it will have from an infrastructure point of view, these are all things that we can uh, predict and these are things that we can, uh, that we can plan for. I can tell you that, for example, and this is one of the one of the things in the report, we say that from an infra, from an infrastructure point of view, uh, immobility is going to count for 25 or 35 billion euros, and this is just a tiny eight percent compared to the total amount of investment that would be needed by 2030. There are some expenses that are going to be way bigger for sure. First of all, it is a relatively small amount given the growth and the market share growth of electrified vehicles you're talking about. Therefore, the overall investment number is relatively small to the amount of overall investment that you're saying the, the, the distribution system will need. So first of all, yeah, what are those costs gonna be for? And is that 25 to 35 just for charging stations? Can you break down what those uh, investment numbers are for? Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Let me start with the big picture so that the uh, listeners have an idea of what we're talking about. So we have a 375 or 425 billion euros that will be needed in investment from the DSO in the, in the grids by 2030. Of these, 25 to 35 are related to immobility. Just by comparison, the electrification of buildings and industry is between 70 and 80. Renewable generation accounts for somewhere between 85 and 95. Uh, modernization of the grid between 90 and 105 billions. Uh, what does it mean for, for immobility? Or I mean, what are we paying for when we talk about immobility? Yes, of course, we're talking about setting up the new charging points, connecting them to the grid each and everywhere, whether it's an urban, a rural, or it's an highway use case. Of course, we're talking about the new transformers that will be that will be needed. In this category here, immobility, we have tried to aim um, at defining those that are specifically aimed at immobility. You were talked earlier about digitization of the grid, and now just now you talked about modernization of the grid. These are expenses that they will have they will have, let's say, very positive benefits and they will be needed for you know, demand management or energy supply management that will also have benefits and applications to the mobility sector as well, right? So how do you separate out the parts that are just for mobility versus for the overall upgrade of the grid itself? Well, when we, when we looked at the modernization of the grid, for example, we looked at uh, the replacement and modernization of grid assets, so lines, uh, transformation centers to maintain it at a high level of robustness. When we look at uh, digitalization, we're mostly looking at the automation uh, of the grid or also grid monitoring that can improve its efficiency and security of supply. And of course, we shouldn't forget the, the famous or for some, unfortunately, infamous smart meters that in some cases we are still waiting for. Uh, but the, 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 once again, as you were mentioning before, the modernization and the replacement of those aging assets is one of those things that really has no downside and it helps the integration of a high volume of distributed energy resources that are really allowing not only for those new uh, renewables to come online, but also to enable customer participation in this uh, very uh, famous uh, new definition of uh, prosumers. 
Right, right. No, that all makes total sense. I mean, all of the all the assets and all the services benefit when the core of the grid itself is is improved and digitized. I it makes complete sense to me. Okay, so it seems from what you're saying that the grid is going to grow. The investments are going to are going into the grid with managed demand, especially. Then you know they will be able to grow apace and not put too much strain on the grid in any place. Let's say they will develop together. So now I'd like to move to the part of your report where you talk about infrastructure. As a you know, I work for a charge point operator, so this is a part that's particularly interesting to me. There's this investment number. This investment is to be used for among other things, but you know, in the context of this particular part of the conversation, charging stations. And so you all identify numbers of charging stations that will be needed uh, over each year. So 13 million by 2025, 32 million by 2030, 65 million by 2035. You break them down by different uh, areas, so residential, workplace, public, destination. And uh, I just it's funny because I was reading the paper uh, in preparation for this interview again, going through some of the parts I'd underlined and written scribbled notes alongside. And I, there was this line that you all in the paper, installation of infrastructure must not become target based, but rather needs based and attuned with local circumstances. Absolutely, Aaron. Thank you very much for, for mentioning that, that line, because does it make sense to come up with uh, precisely crafted uh, uh, targets when then uh, somebody in a remote province uh, of, of my or your country will have to implement them. And most importantly, how will they understand what their role is when the targets and the figures are always given at the national level? And this is actually a real, real issue. And this is perhaps something which is creating a lot of problems, not only for you guys in the CPO sector, but also for the DSOs that are constantly engaging with uh, local, regional, and national authorities trying to indeed set up those uh, those charging points and unfortunately delays are present i mean i know i know you perfectly know what i'm talking about yeah yeah well let's talk about that right now i mean let, let's go there so there's the need to rapidly deploy a lot more charging infrastructure in order to you know be able to support the e-vehicle fleet i mean it's growing so much each year so we need to deploy a lot more chargers it's growing but not growing fast enough i think we all agree on that so what are the delays and bottlenecks and challenges and your paper identified some as well that we agree upon i mean in fact in the interest of uh disclosure greenway contributed some input directly into the paper so let's talk about it you know some of the issues that you identified and that we've also identified are permitting delays and connection delays and so from the perspective of the of the network operators what is the issues and how can we address them Oof, what are the issues i think that there are quite a lot of issues which are would say we can sum them up simply by saying a lack of uh, coordination as it's usually the case when actors coming from different sectors come into let's say uh, engage with uh, with each other so you can have delays which are more often than not caused by lengthy complex patchy administrative procedures which are not usually drafted having in mind a fast-paced constantly evolving market and sector like the uh, EV charging uh, sector. So let, let's assume that you are a charging point operator, you want to set up a new charging point somewhere. Well, first of all, good luck with that because you're going <laughs> you're gonna to have to start talking with the local authorities to have the permission to install it somewhere. Then, of course, you want to make sure that you have an agreement with the person that is owning 
the the real estate where you wanna where you wanna set up the thing. On top of that, you wanna make sure that electricity can reach the charging point that you wanna set up or operate, and hence the DSO comes into play. And of course, when we're talking about uh, the administration, we cannot and really should not forget that administration are more uh, they're complex animals. I would say reuniting some local political powers, the uh, the civil servants that have been working there for years and are not really aware of what is happening, some sort of security or safety concerns that you need to go through. And so you need to involve also the firefighters and all of that. So, I mean, there's a lot that can go wrong. As soon as something gets blocked, well, delays, delays are there. The one thing that we want to make sure is that we can set up somehow a sort of a roadmap or a toolbox, if you want, that can actually assist authorities and actors eager to engage with the EV charging ecosystem to really make sure that they can come up with the clear and precise uh, one, two, three, four, five steps that they can follow to actually set up those charging points. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely going to work on that. Hopefully those are adopted. But I mean, you know, you do at the end of the report provide a sort of next steps chapter that, you know, DSOs and local authorities and CPOs and TSOs and others all need to be a part of kind of planning things together. I'm just going to list off the things you mentioned in the report. Uh, Carefully plan distribution, digital and grid infrastructure investments, simplify local authority approval processes, enable faster and cheaper grid connections for EV chargers, focus on the reliability of infrastructure, ensure every publicly accessible charger is digitally connected and capable of smart charging, and ensure interoperability. So these are sort of the proposals you make at the end of the paper. And obviously now we need to get into the details and work on on what exactly those things are, right? Absolutely. Yes, as usual, as usual, the devil's is in the detail. Or in this case, I would even say the paradise is in the detail. But the one thing that we need uh, in some cases is a sort of a philosophy change, a sort of a paradigmatic change from the side of the companies active in the sector. Namely, we need to make sure that uh, users are really put at the center of this uh, of this transformation. Many cases in the last years we've been asking ourselves how can we make sure that the e-mobility can grow and how can it grow faster than what we see nowadays. And we have said we need to increase the consumer acceptance of uh, e-mobility. The one thing that we need to make sure is that, uh, for example, charging an electric vehicle is as easy as possible, that parking an electric vehicle is as easy as possible, that uh, the way in which you as a consumer and producer, so as a consumer, you can actually engage with, uh, with the utilities in a fair manner. So really need to make sure that we can really rethink the relationship with our customers. And I believe only then we will actually make it easy, uh, seamless, and uh, eventually everybody's going to drive electric. <laughs> yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, no, you're, you're right. I think, I think you're right. There's a page on the paper that talks about geographic divide. And, you know, I'm sitting here in Bratislava, Slovakia, Greenway, which I work for, you know, operates in Central and Eastern Europe. And we see very much that there is a geographic divide when it comes to, you know, availability of vehicles, when it comes to number of charging stations and and quite a few other things. But nonetheless, there is a geographic divide. The report identifies this, but I'm wondering if you have thoughts about how to address this divide and how to close this gap. Aaron, we need to go back to those uh, targets that we were mentioning before. I mean, targets are not 
everything and in some cases can give us a little bit of a distorted image of reality. However, when it comes to ensuring that famous uh, level playing field uh, or a sort of an equal starting point for all the different uh, countries or cities or local realities, well, this is exactly where targets uh, kick in. So whether we're talking about the uh, public charging infrastructure or we're talking about the private charging infrastructure, we have now new targets, a fairly ambitious one, I would say, uh, coming from the European Commission, that of course are now going to go to uh, national authorities. We are aiming at setting some uh, minimum level of coverage, or we can call the minimum level of performance. We just need to make sure that um, the situation that we have nowadays does not continue forever, and namely having a, a huge share of the public charging points which are all in some five countries in uh, northern uh, Western Europe. This is something that we cannot afford anymore to, to have from an economic point of view, from a fairness uh, point of view. And we really need to make sure that we can bring power to power to people. Power to the people. Yeah, what a perfect way to close Michelangelo. You get the last word. So that was our episode today. I really hope you liked it. And if you did, please consider sharing it and leaving a rating or review on either iTunes or Spotify because it really does help other people find the show and learn about our topics in the energy transition. Huge thanks to Peter Badik and Michelangelo Aveta for coming, giving your time, sharing your insights and your thoughts with us on these important topics. And also really want to thank our producer, Katarina Urban-Richterova, for making it all sound so good. Please feel free to get in touch anytime via email at aaron.fishbone at greenwaynetwork.com. You can find me on LinkedIn or you can find us on Twitter at gwoperator.com. So thanks very much for listening. We'll be back soon with another Electric Avenue episode. Until then, this is Aaron Fishbone wishing you many happy and safe electric kilometers and peace in Ukraine. Have you done podcasts before? That was my first uh, podcast interview. I mean, yeah. like in my my university years, I was uh, working in uh, in the student radio. Uh, cool. So I have a, a little bit of a background of a of a chit chatter somehow, <laughs> um, but nothing nothing more than that, really. Nice, nice. Well, okay. Well, great. Happy to be your first podcast. Very exciting, and uh, hopefully, it's definitely not your last. And like.